Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. It's a hot one to quote uh, Santana feet Rob Thomas. Mm. It is a hot one. It has been scorching and I've just been trying to go for a swim as much as I can. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's a good thing that we can be on our seafaring voyage here uh, at the UCM, of course, in our indoor uh, ocean, I guess, because that happens. But uh, yeah. 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 I don't exactly know how we got this Truman show as, uh, (laughs) ocean fit into yeah. the UCM, but here we are. Here we are. I've been thinking a lot about that because I recently did finish uh, Moby Dick, Humble Brat. Oh, you finished it? Oh, wow. I did. Ooh. Yes. Congratulations. Uh, thank you, thank you. I should, you know, I, I feel like I should get a medal. I, I want to tell people, like, just random people on the street, you know, I, I finished reading Moby Dick. And liked it. I mean, you're telling our entire audience now, so I guess that kind of works. Oh yeah, I guess I, I guess I am. I guess I've I found a way to spread the word. Mm. But uh, it is one thing that I have to think about because I I do really like imagining the seafaring lifestyle mm. for myself. I think I've talked about this before, but I unironically tear up listening to A Pirate Looks at 40 by Jimmy Buffett and Mm. Son of a Son of a Sailor by Jimmy Buffett. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do do think that I would like to try a life at sea. Uh, I I realize there would be a lot of limitations of things that I like on land. I do like seafood, but I feel like it would get a little old after a while. I've never had spam. Mm, not crazy about that yeah yeah but i do think i look good in bell bottoms and striped shirts this is true i i definitely agree it's definitely a look that you pull off i thank you i think it could be fun i'm definitely down at some point to try a life on on the seas you know i've always wanted Mm -hmm. to i've always wanted a boat just like readily available to be able to learn and use like i just like the water (laughs) and being able to do that um i don't think I would want a boat so desperately that I'm willing to build one from thousands of years ago, though, like we have here. I feel like this yeah. might be taking that lifestyle a bit too far. Yeah, this is, um, there, there's definitely some things that I'm seeing, having mostly been on uh, motorboats. Right. Life, uh, although I have, I have sailed before. Okay. Uh, this is, uh, this is a little, uh, dare I say, Spartan. Mm, well, you would be close. It's more Phoenician. Oh. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess that kind of leads us into what we're going to be talking about today, which is really focused on replicas and the idea of replicas and what that insinuates and can be uh, 
can be used for, for different situations as this boat here. But what we are standing right. on is a replica version of a Phoenician trading or merchant vessel from around 600 BCE uh, that's actually based off of one of the wrecks that was towards the Atlantic at the end of the Mediterranean Sea. So mm. it's pretty accurate. As you can see, everything is made of, uh, I'm, I believe it's cedar, or we're, we're trying to mimic that, you know, want to save those trees, and we have as close as we can get it to look as accurate as possible to what it would have been built like. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, but we unfortunately do not have the first version of these replicas because that's actually been done before and used to sail across from uh, Carthage to, to America essentially, to specifically the Dominican Republic and then Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which, you know, is the place to go, I guess. <laughs> Where all great journeys end, <laughs> yeah, Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> but is, that the, is that the Mordor of the U.S., you think? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I don't know if I would even put that on. Maybe, uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think Orlando is a darker... Okay, darker energy. Uh, a darker energy mm. of Florida. Or you know what? Honestly, honestly, I feel like I, people shit on Orlando a lot, and I get it because of the theme parks. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a theme park person. Mm -hmm. And also there is that whole very superficial feel to it, you know, all the young people on vacation, you know, that sort of uh just very shallow feeling sure. that you can get there. But honestly, like I really don't like Boca. Boca Raton, and not for you? No, I went there for my cousin's wedding, and I just, I did not like that vibe. Like, whatever that was of extremely wealthy people that are partying, and there's just a giant, uh, you know, high-span bridge over you. Mm. It just doesn't there's some there's something more unsettling about Boca, I'd say. So you're not a fan of the hit song Boca Raton by ASAP Ferg and Boz? To which is quotes, mm. I'm out in Boca Raton, sipping real good patron. I got this <laughs> chick on the phone. <laughs> you know, at least that sounds <laughs> it's a great like they're song. having fun. It's a fun song. Uh but I uh, I don't know. Take me to Cocoa Beach. Take me okay. to Amelia Island. Okay, you know? all right. I, see, I feel you. Well, I've never been to if, Boca if Raton. I, if so. I'm going to go to the Atlantic coast, mm. you know, or I, I don't know. I, in Florida, Florida, the darkness of Florida, <laughs> you know, certainly exists inland, too. Sure, yeah. You start yeah. seeing weird stuff towards the middle of the state. Right, get the skunk ape. Lion Country Safari, I don't know where that tracks into yeah. all of this. Mm. It it adds to the but, lore for sure. Yeah, yeah. But as far as replicas go, I feel like they're uh, a good opportunity to teach us about something. We maybe feel a little less like something's a little less precious that we can really get close and study it. I mean, yeah. Do you have do you have like any family heirlooms or something that almost feel too precious to um, to have or to to, wow. to use? Um. Gosh, I have to think about that one. I mean, I feel, huh? I because well, we're we're both sentimental. People. Yeah, no, I don't feel like we. I don't feel like our families have left us a ton of heirlooms <laughs> because we both have parents that have traveled at different points in their right. lives and don't like you know bring mm -hmm. 
the family's china you know I mean, collection everywhere okay you know what i do actually know this because it's not this doesn't involve me but it involves more of my mom and my sister my, my mom and my sister have mm. a like a sort of argument about this and it's very funny um mm-hmm. so one of the things is that my my mom and my dad really have acquired like really nice like porcelainware or chinaware oh, over time okay. and like go. have nice silverware that they got as like wedding presents but we okay. we we okay. don't this is the italian in it this is where it comes mm-hmm. out we don't use that that's to look at you have it in the actual closet to which all of this is stored and no one can touch it except for very 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 special occasions oh, yeah. but my sister is the person who will bring out the like crystal to drink like something in oh. you know whether that be water or cider it doesn't matter so like mm-hmm. it, it'll just be like we're well, gonna use I, the nice i respect that oh I, yeah i respect the you know sort of just pomp and circumstance of, why not you know i'm 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 hot fetch me the crystal it's very so cool I it's i fun. feel like it's it's what it's what those things were made for yeah. and it's also a thing that you know has been a part of my art practice for a while sort mm. of looking at things that don't get used for their original purpose or don't get right. to serve that function uh i i think my weirdly i feel like my parents don't my parents have some heirlooms, but they don't either don't take care of them or mm. just don't really don't look at them a whole lot. You okay. know, I think they, they have a lot of hangups with their own families. I see. Uh, gotcha. And I mean, even like my mom has like this, this cutting block full of fish knives, <laughs> but oh. she doesn't cook fish so she just uses fish knives for like cutting fruit and stuff there's just these very long skinny knives mm. and you're just watching her cut up bananas with them <laughs> that seems not practical at all but sure yeah but i'm pretty sure she got that block um from like her first marriage oh wow you know, it's like a wedding present huh yeah well, no I that guess... knife block's older than me jeez man i mean i guess you got to use it for something then right yeah, yeah i mean I... but like you, you there's no like you don't have I mean, what would you do if you, it turns out, Joe, you're the descendant of San Samino. Or I guess it would be San Chimino. And you you have now inherited this knuckle bone mm. relic. What do you do with that? <laughs> wow, what do I do with the knuckle bone relic? I mean of San Chimino. Of San Chimino. You're really not far off because I'm pretty sure I'm related <laughs> to a baron from Naples. So it's, oh my it's, god, really? Yeah, I have documentation and everything. Oh my I, god, I, I, I had no idea I was yeah. in the presence of a baron. Yeah, man. The, well, I think he got shot playing a card game, so it's kind of a crazy <laughs> story. Oh, so wait, so that that must move you up in the line of, asc- I, of ascension, I, right? I, I have no idea. I have, <laughs> I have to double check onto that. I feel why. Like, why why do we talk so much about Italian stereotypes and yet your family you literally had an ancestor yeah, in a I, card game? I always kind of forget and like I'm I should be reminded all the time because in my my family's home, you know, there's like a literally like one of those um it's like a uh, what do you call it? It's like a certificate or like a plaque or something. It's not really a certificate, but it it like mm-hmm. shows the proof of it. And then I remember asking when I was younger, <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, we're pretty sure he like got you know he got in a fight and died. He someone shot him." Okay, so maybe you so. wouldn't have like a saint's relic. No, but of I your, of 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 Baron uh, Baron Chimino, but you would have uh, 
I don't know, a, a bloody playing card with a bullet hole through it. I mean, I guess that's more, that would possibly be, you know, there. And then it's like, well, what do I do with these useless cards that now have my ancestors blood on them? That sounds fun. Um, mm. Probably display them. I think that could be cool. I'm not going to, yeah. I, I would like to play with them, but they would fall apart. So I feel like that's probably not a good thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. It's such a question because I'm also somebody that's always in a dilemma and this has nothing to do with relics necessarily or, or, or replicas, but it's my problem mm-hmm. with buying expensive things like expensive clothing mm-hmm. items because there's a threshold where once I enter that $300 range, I don't want to get them, I don't want to break anything or I get it dirty. Yeah. So then I'm like, well, I bought this thing and it's amazing and beautiful, but I must keep it safe because if I don't, it'll break. And then my investment was worthless. But then it's also ironic right. because I don't wear it. So it's, yeah, it's complicated. The, the first scratch on the guitar is the hardest. That's why I buy all my guitars pre-scratched, and then I don't have to worry about it. Yes. <laughs> I do, and no, I, get, I get a discount. That, that's so. what you really got to do. Oh, yeah, I mean, man, you watched me buy uh, an antique guitar <laughs> that I'm currently trying to fix. <laughs> I did, yeah. I mean, you're just ahead of the game in that way. But that's the same yeah. thing, right? It's like you're playing this antique thing that, I mean, I guess you could have gotten the replica version that you can beat up, but you get the real deal, and now you have this right. really cool yeah. thing Yeah, I mean, play. there's no shortage of people buying guitars specifically with the intent of relicking them, of making them look like they're these old instruments. Uh, you know, there's people that have, a, like, even a formula of, like, taking the body off the guitar putting yeah. it in a sack full of nuts and bolts and, you know, driving around with that in their trunk uh, down a bumpy road. So weird. Uh, there's, there is uh, such a desire to have something that looks worn in, but a lot of that stuff is either unattainably expensive, or if you did actually happen to get an antique like that, you would treat it so gingerly. Yeah. That is... I think a famous example of someone like not being able to, let go of the original is like Willie Nelson, right? I mean, mm. he famously has his guitar trigger um, that he is very, very attached to, and he's had pretty much his entire career. Right. Uh, and I've watched interviews with uh, the guy who's basically Willie Nelson's like guitar repair, his luthier, oh, basically. Wow. Okay. And it's his job that like, whenever there's like a new hole in trigger, it's his job to fix it. Hmm. And uh, they did tell Willie at one point, hey, you know, for the survival of this guitar, maybe let's get you another one. So they found like another Martin guitar, same model, same year. It's like a couple serial numbers different hmm. Okay, from Trigger. They put the same pickup setup in it because Willie Nelson has like a really unique um, pickup in there, apparently. Oh, um, from another guitar. And uh, according to the the luthier, he never touched it. You know, they they presented this guitar to him. They're mm. like, it's basically the same guitar. Uh, but, you know, this one is less worn and Willie has stuck with Trigger. Interesting. I just feel like there's a lot of artists of that generation that they'll put aside the original uh, and then have, you know, basically the Fender custom shop make them a replica that, you know, even has the same scratches on it so that they can keep performing and make it look like they're playing the same guitar that they were playing in the 60s. But, you know, now they have one that's in a little less danger of getting uh, destroyed on the road. Mm. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I I feel like that's partially how I would end up being, but at the same time, there is something to kind of just using the same instrument until it just can't function, and then you lay it to rest, and then get the new one. You know, mm-hmm. and then you try something new, and I think that's terrifying, but also kind of the exciting part about that. But mm-hmm. I mean, replicas off they offer such an interesting way of experiencing things because they have both pros and cons and for sure can come with a lot of cons but they can also offer that ability to experience something from the past that we would not be able to use before whether in also for people to experience art that would that cannot be seen in public anymore because it would just be destroyed at this point if it was still there the originals that Mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. and we can maybe get into that as we continue our conversation but i wanted to sort of tie this into the vessel that we're standing on now you know this this 600 bce phoenician merchant vessel which the uh original replica (laughs) that was made of this (laughs) was actually used to sail from Carthage in Tunisia to, to, like I said, the Dominican Republic and Fort Lauderdale. And the in- sole intent of this journey, are you ready for this? Because it's a whole thing. Uh-huh. It's not just to see if the boat can make it. It's not just to see how okay. you can challenge oneself. Well, it's not just the sea, it's the ocean. Right, it's not just the sea, it's the Atlantic Ocean. It's, it, mm-hmm. it is to... They're actually leaving the Mediterranean. They are leaving the Mediterranean to where no one has gone before, to Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> uh, but no, they, I mean, I think that's how they looked at it. If you if you watch any of these videos, it's incredible. But um, mm-hmm. they are trying to prove that the Phoenicians, way back when, were able okay. to sail from the Mediterranean, from, from Carthage specifically, and find North America. And this is where things get very, very weird. So in order to go into that, essentially, this is a this was an expedition known and and Mm -hmm. they entitled it so clearly on their YouTube pages uh, because there's just only like a few videos of these and they're super weirdly low budget, but kind of amazing and then weird. Yeah, Um, you did show me a video and it has, I want to say, the production value of a local business's ad uh, playing at a small theater. It's very much, you know, yeah, it is like, it's, it's mm-hmm. this presentation of everything everywhere all at <laughs> once is brought to you by Joe's liquor store. It, it feels like a high school project that you were doing about history. It, it was like, I've watched something like this in a lot school. of stock photos, a lot of stock photos. And then there's like one interview at the end. And I've even watched a few. That, and I had to show you that for the sake of context, Zancy. We were on the same page about this journey. But mm-hmm. before even diving into some of those very weird ways of how they explain this, essentially, this is called the Phoenicians Before Columbus expedition because their sole mission is, was to prove that the Phoenicians made it to America before Columbus and not based on anything other than they could have done it. So. They basically okay. their their whole thing is like they're trying to prove that people from the Middle East thousands of years ago would have made it to America before Columbus or even the Vikings. And so they na- they created this ship, as I mentioned, this exact mm-hmm. same one, just different, called the Phoenicia. Uh, I think there could have been room for, you know, Phoenicia and Ferb. I think could have been fun if they made a second uh, one. That, God, why why didn't they have you on board I, for this? They had everybody else but me, apparently. This is like the, <laughs> this is like the International <laughs> Space Station. They have representatives from everywhere on this boat. It's kind of amazing and also just wild to me. But, like, 
this this whole this whole idea is created by and he's an ex navy ex British navy officer named uh, Philip Beale. Philip Beale. His credentials pop up under uh, you know his uh, <laughs> his likeness. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say, like you know, it says. Uh, Sailor, writer, adventurer. Yeah. Those are all very subjective titles. <laughs> yeah, he just gave them to himself. He just yeah, gave them. He didn't like, explore anything. He just you gave can, them to himself. You can write anything. <laughs> you can call a trip to the grocery store an adventure. I mean, I I, uh, I read a Wikipedia article about the Leatherman. I am now a Leatherman expert, technically. Is this... I Okay, I... I <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> uh, but, okay, um... I know, obviously, the English have a very storied naval tradition. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the United States has, has a very strong military culture. Uh, and, but at least, uh, at least among, uh, among certain people, we roll our eyes at people whose only credentials are being in the military. Right. Like, we're like, oh, okay, so you signed up for free college when you were 18? Mm-hmm. Uh, or something? <laughs> right. Uh, like, does that does that get the same eye roll in Europe? Or I is don't it know. because it's the Royal Navy, you know, Her Majesty's Navy? Well does that carry does that carry more weight? Because I don't know, like, I know people that have been in the Navy and they're just some guy There's some guy in the navy it's it's that yeah. guy it, it i, I kind of think no of, no just no disrespect right, to right, right, our right. to our ships at sea obviously obviously sure, uh, but, but yeah i think everybody knows you can just be some guy in the military i mean i think in fact i i think there's a lot of just some guy i think there's a lot of just some guys i mean i'm pretty sure that's what a private is but um <laughs> I, I, but, we, but because but because we have degrees if we got drafted we'd be officers no we would absolutely not be we didn't do rotc so no she no no no, no. i think i think if you have a bachelor's degree you don't you don't go in as a uh wait really you go i get in rank as, you yeah you get some rank if you get into the military oh my god okay i have a i have if a we new, if we huh. got drafted well suddenly. that's good to know i have a new thing to hold over uh family members who are in the military <laughs> and try to act like they're better so that's fun i'll, I'll be using i don't that know one. what they would put us in charge of i want to be the cook that'd be fun i don't i don't know <laughs> it does give me you would not have rank for that but i just i think being a cook on a ship would be fun and also incredibly stressful um and to answer your question though i, I don't actually know i think the british navy or the english navy specifically is really kind of full of themselves i imagine because of their whole history of you know colonizing and going everywhere which to a certain extent must have been kind of exciting to like go to the arctic or something but also terrifying i'm gonna say that the english think it's cool i think everyone else as in the irish the welsh and the scott the scots think it's ridiculous and make fun of them hmm. i have a very strong feeling that that's how it is um, I, well, I mean, I'm sure a lot of uh, people pressured into service from all of those places by yeah, the English. Yeah, I'm sure they're not very. I, I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure it's a lot of mixed emotions because I'm. Yeah, like, there's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah, of sure. very famous, famous. <laughs> <laughs> there were there are a lot. There were a lot of very famous 
Master Bruce. <laughs> oh my God, it's coming back. A lot, <laughs> a very, a lot of very famous uh, Irish yeah. and Scottish uh, explorers and sailors. Oh and yeah, ship for sure. Builders. Oh no, 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 absolutely. But I also would. I mean, they they made such stellar ships as the Titanic. I mean, Cork, <laughs> Ireland. I think is still very proud of that one. Legend says it's still out there. Um. <laughs> there, yeah, don't, please do not tell anyone in Cork what happened. No. They were so proud no, of very that. Happy. Um, but yeah, I mean, this guy's definitely got a, he's got a personality to him. And, um, but yeah, he essentially assembled this, like, like I said, an international space station crew, an international mm-hmm. Phoenician station crew. I don't know, there's something there. Basically from, from countries <laughs> such as, <laughs> from country on board the okay yeah. on board the Phineas and Ferb right on board the the Phoenician the Phoenician Ferb the Phoenician Ferb uh yeah we have people from the United States Indonesia Lebanon Norway Brazil United Kingdom and the Netherlands and it also had the filmmaker Yuri Sanda from Brazil who was documenting this entire thing so I can't and they're going to Aruba Jamaica it. ooh exactly. I wanna take it to Fort Lauderdale. Florida. It's there. I mean, we can make that song. I think the edit has to happen. Now, I should also note, this was happening in 2019 to 2020. So it was very, very recent. Oh, oh what did you do during the pandemic? <laughs> they they uh, sailed. Uncle, Uncle Philip. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I tried to prove that uh, all these things happened that didn't happen. But so essentially, like, this sets, because this, this whole, I, I should probably backstep a bit. I wanted to talk about this in terms of leading us into the discussion of replicas as I'm in a pause moment, I should say, because Mm -hmm. I genuinely thought this was very cool. I'm a big fan of replica ships. I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. I like the idea of being able to like build something from hand from older relics so we can get an idea of what they were like to be able to sail on them, to be able to feel what that was like, I think is very useful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think replicas in that way can be very useful as learning devices. Mm-hmm. This yes. I thought that was this. I thought that's what was happening. Uh-huh. And then I watched the YouTube videos after reading the articles that I was reading on this. And it got weird. And so essentially, okay. And now now actually I want to do a little bit of some background information on the Phoenicians and the ships as well because for those who might know and for those who definitely don't know or for those who don't know the Phoenicians at the time had some of the most advanced ships in the early BCE period, and they were really famous for just going and making sea colonies quite literally everywhere and just yeah, trading. If um if if we had listeners that were not familiar with the Phoenicians, what would you uh what would you sort of equate them to like geographically now? Like I believe uh, they're orig- I believe they're originally from Lebanon, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so like yeah, it, but, but sort but sort of yeah, but like from from Lebanon, but like a kind of Mediterranean based Mediterranean, yeah. definitely within the the Hellenistic sphere. Ah, uh, yeah, of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah, in that in that range, exactly that they're sailing through the Mediterranean, but then kind of spread all over. They're more famous as traders and setting up their smaller colonies that they kind of just mingle with everybody. They're also really famous for the color purple because they invented the specific. Uh, the specific tone of it named uh, Tyrian purple, which is made from uh, sneez- sea snails called Bolinus brandarius, or brandaris, mm. which is interesting, and I didn't know that. So that's one of the things yeah. that they're really famous for was always having like purple garments and, and sails, to which this this ship, the, the Phoenician Ferb, actually did uh, have some purple on there, so I was, I was pleased to see that. But so... Th- 
I give this context because they're incredibly gifted sailors and their boats were really, really good at navigating around the Mediterranean very easily and lasted very long. So Mm -hmm. this generates that idea that they were the best sailors at that time, at least in the West. And you can see people getting the wrong idea here that because a sea vessel designed to sail around the Mediterranean, a notoriously calmer sea and not an ocean, not an open ocean... And would be able to handle something me, like that. Cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but also in this era of Mediterranean travel, all of those cultures typically stayed within sight of land when they sailed. You hit the nail on the head on that one. Exactly. If you look at the map of all the Phoenician colonies, or even Greek, they are literally all on the coastlines because that was the right. easier thing to navigate. They didn't just cut right in the middle because you follow the coasts and find different places. And be, and one of the things... Well, that, yeah, no, if you sail out of sight of land, you end up on an island full of cyclopses. Ex- <laughs> yeah, Sardinia. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> it's just all cyclopses and mermaids in the Mediterranean. And, and it's true. I mean, yeah, and in the, the Adriatic, I guess, too. But um, but this is one of those things that like Philip Beale loves to talk about is how they were so good at navigating and they even got towards the West and on the Atlantic. But if we don't, if, if everybody's forgetting, right, the, the Strait of Gibraltar is right there and you can get there yeah. if you go West I, or if you go East I, around I the coast. I don't want to downplay the achievements of ancient peoples because they did a lot of amazing stuff. 100%. But, yeah, no, this is... um. I think this is overstating their abilities just, just a, a bit. little bit. Just, like, just like a lot. <laughs> like when people talk about like the engineering marvel that is the pyramids, like it is, they are incredible. Yeah. But, you know, it, not the it, most, you know, they, they had, they had math and they had, uh, they had a labor source and they had a lot of time. No, Zan, uh, it had to be and, the aliens. It had to. Um, I <laughs> also, um, Okay, so they're trying to prove that the Phoenicians could have sailed yeah. uh, yes. to the Americas. My Okay, so immediately I think of Contiki. Yes, exactly. That's what I thought of as well, because it's a similar but, but idea. But Contiki is trying to prove a point, like that, um, yeah. that, that this is a plausible way that with very little technology and guidance, you could have humans get to uh these islands mm-hmm. uh in the pacific mm-hmm. from right. south america like that is just that that's a plausible thing that would have happened but um is there any reason the phoenicians would have wanted to sail straight into the atlantic like what does this mm-hmm. d- does this have like a political bent uh, like well. is, is this is this like all the hoteps that want to talk about mm. native americans are actually uh are, are actually Africans that, that sailed well, to the new world? It, it, it kind of does, and I'll get to it. Well, okay. here's the theories. Okay. This is the theory that Beale is basing this off of, and it's, ba- and it's really what they tried to fund the whole thing on, which is essentially mm-hmm. that there's a recount, allegedly, from a Greek historian and geographer named Strabo, who said that the Phoenicians okay. settled and traded along the East Coast on the side of the Atlantic... And then this is what prompted the ships. This is what prompted Captain Beale to theorize that the Phoenicians would have sailed west. Now, as you just so said, that these ancient seafaring peoples were really good mm-hmm. and mostly, you know, 
just followed the coast. And if you look at the map, we uh-huh. can get to the east side or to the to that Atlantic side of the, you know, coast by following the coastlines. So mm-hmm. it's not entirely inaccurate to say they would have been there. The question is, would they have gone out onto open ocean? And yeah, these like so. So, okay, before we kind of disprove this entire thing. So that's his whole deal (laughs) is looking at this through the British. I'm imagining that English, you know, age of exploration lens that he probably really wants to graft onto these people that they're going to go out into the unknown for the sake of getting there. Now, here's where it got weird. Because as I'm watching, Here's where it gets this weird. is where it gets weird. Not just the crazy theories. It gets worse. Okay. So because okay. like I said, I genuinely thought this was going to be like a Contiki type situation. We're going to prove that because like what I thought this could have been was or what this was going to be was you have this ancient technology that was really, really, really good at navigating the Mediterranean, even in storms. What happens if you sail it across the Atlantic to the New World? Would it even be possible? That's well, yeah, what I that, thought it was going to be. That's, that's the... like a Mythbusters premise. Exactly. It's like this didn't need to have happened, but we could prove that if you knew what you were doing, if you right. knew where you were going, right, you could do this theoretically. Exactly. So that's what I thought was happening, and then it turns out I was wrong. So oh. what? Ha- what really they start talking about when Beale's giving his like interview speech about the project, about what they're trying to prove, besides expressing his fascination and love of the Phoenicians, which I was like, okay, B-side history, super cool, into it. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. Then starts saying that because they, they, they could get west, or, but yeah, right? We're going back. Yeah, because they could have gotten west and they could have sailed to the Americas, it mm-hmm. opens up a new interpretation for scripture, for religious texts, such as the Old and New Testament, and even, and even, Sam, (laughs) that the Book of Mormon is having some credibility here. So that's where I started started cringing, because essentially what he was saying, that he was getting real influenced by, like, all these texts he's reading. You know, he's reading up on a scripture. He's reading the Book of Mormon for some reason. And it's like, oh, my God, it's making sense. (laughs) He's like, because because the Phoenicians could have gone west with this amazing technology, the Nephites in the Book of Mormon that Joseph Smith wrote about could have very well been real. And that would actually make sense and prove how the Nephites got to the promised land, which is the Americas. I'm weirdly, I'm weirdly jealous. (laughs) I know. Right now. I'm like, I'm like, this is, come on. Mormons are our thing. Like, (laughs) like, I know it's, it's, I mean, doesn't, doesn't England have some, you know, some, some weird, uh, alternate history that they can be, you know, going on. Like, (laughs) so is he Mormon? I don't know. I don't know. I never actually looked, but like, that's what's, I don't think so. I think it was just sort of like, he's really excited about all of this happening and he could just kind of, again, like graft it onto these different things and be like, well, who knows what's real anymore? And it's, it's like, Um, it's just bizarre because you're like, wait a minute. So you're not trying to prove that this technology was really good. You're trying to prove that this happened, that they beat Columbus, that they were here. Now, Taking a step back from the absurdity of that statement that they would have, uh-huh. that the Book of Mormon is even, s- sorry to the Mormon listeners, but come on, it's not real. Like, come on, he's just a really good liar. And if it is, I'll, I'll eat my I, own I words. Think, but, I think uh, my, my respect for Joseph Smith is... He's a really um, good con, man, I'll give you that. It's, <laughs> I think I, I have an appreciation of him uh, taking 
uh, scripture, reinterpreting it for mm. uh, his audience and the needs of his audience, uh, you know, trying to yes. work in American folklore into the story of Christianity. And, and also, like, just that he, like, it's not just that, like, he was good at making up stuff. Like, he was really good oh, yeah. at making up stuff in a way that to me it's it's kind of irrelevant that it's all made up i'm just impressed i'm impressed with the creativity i guess i mean he's a really really good or he was a really really good storyteller uh, you know that's just credit yeah. where credit's due he was really good at you know improvising a story and then saying it again and again and being able to weave a tale that people could be interested in and yeah and i think yeah. i think like that that's that's almost the thing that i'm like i'm I'm kind of more fascinated with the magical thinking oh yeah I, I mean it's fascinating i think it's all fascinating and then you get to the period of like brigham young's reign and the other guys that get super weird and then the it just gets it and just then gets one weird. day one day it brought us twilight See, I will not. I cannot believe that she's a Mormon. I had no idea, but I mean, and it, no, again, no hate to the Mormons, but like, come on, you know what I mean? I think, I think this. We can all acknowledge that this theory doesn't hold as much weight, regardless of religious right, belief. That they're that Native Americans or Israelites. Yeah. That that, exactly. that the the Book of Mormon is a fascinating nineteenth uh, century literary work. Yes. Yes. Uh, and in and an important literary work uh, to a lot of people, uh, but th <laughs> supported by really no archaeology yeah. and mm -hmm. really was born out of a a a lack of archaeology that had been done in the Americas. Exactly. At that point. Exactly. Yeah. So that being said, with this getting into the archaeology and the actual proving of this guy, of, of Philip Beale's theory here. Um, mm -hmm. it absolutely holds no water. Get it? Because it's a boat. But uh, it, it, it <laughs> all with these puns today. No, it, it is absolutely not true. There is like zero evidence of Phoenician vessels being anywhere on the coast of the Americas. You know, the thing we would probably find yeah. if there was something there. There's no archaeological proof that they were there. At least the Vikings have that. At least there's been settlements recovered in yeah. Finland, regardless of the dates or how long they were there. And we, there's a whole, you know, you can go back on our exhibitions and, and listen to us talk about that because it's another yeah, fascinating but, but even tale. The, the, the point that you brought up about the significance of the Vikings arriving in, uh, in North America, like that is a significant historical moment. And I do not want to uh, downplay that achievement. Um, and I know like because we we are not we are not columbus uh new advocates absolutely here. not no we we are we are uh anti-columbus however i think acknowledging his significance to history because yeah regardless of him being the first uh um the the, the first european or first uh person from the Mediterranean mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. made it to uh, made it to the Americas. Uh, he's the one that told people exactly, about it, which is exactly. a point that you brought up. I did. Oh yeah. That, mm -hmm. that there was, there was an economic and political motivation to go and find new trade routes and new lands and new resources to exploit. Like, 
there was a driving force to go and find this thing mm-hmm. uh, and and come back and tell other people about it. Exactly. You know, even though that wasn't necessarily specifically what he was looking for, he recognized its potential uh uh, as as something for for Spain to just take exactly, it's a totally different mindset. And like, because the Vikings, yeah. the Vikings showing up in Vinland from Greenland, then from Iceland, you know, they're they're just making their way also along the coastlines, just you know, following yeah. Baffin Island all the way down. But they mm-hmm. really, there's kind of an it's like an exile almost, or this way of like exploring and going out to search for something. But they don't really tell anybody, and even when they do, no one finds it worth it to go back there. Like it just because yeah. it wasn't the it's not the motivation. They don't have that. Well, driving yeah, com- compare this, compare what, uh, you know, let, let's say one day a, a Phoenician vessel got washed out to sea, made it across the Atlantic. Maybe they did make it to some part of North America, lived out the rest of their lives. They would have had no way to navigate back because what, th- what th- they didn't have compasses. No, no, um, not at all. They, they didn't have clocks. Uh, so they couldn't tell what uh, longitude they were at. I think that, you know, if you go back to our tour on the Lapita mm. and their colonization of uh, the Pacific Islands, uh, th- we have evidence of them making the three trips that right. we talked about exactly. that are necessary to establish a colony where you have to go out, you have to discover it, one. You have to come back and tell other people too. You have to go back with more people and right. supplies. Yeah. Three, like those aren't the types of trips that I I think people were uh, in this part of the world were yeah. equipped for. They were equipped for sailing in sight of land, and they had a general idea of where they were going most of the time. Exactly. That's th- these are all logical facts and things that we have to acknowledge. And and and. It's important to understanding the differences here. And there's, yeah, there is, is as technologically advanced for their time of yeah. that they had, they were not equipped to go sail out into the, into the Atlantic. Now, yeah. could someone have done it? Maybe. We will never know. I, I, or at least maybe if we find one at the bottom of the Atlantic ocean i guess that'll prove it i doubt it but it's possible yeah, yeah. i mean but yeah because it, it would be it would be amazing if these things happened but it also hey it would be kind of like if we actually did discover bigfoot yeah know? it would be kind of like, like oh, it okay. doesn't fundamentally change our understanding of science right uh it just adds to it to a certain degree yeah well so there, there's a lot wrapped up in trying to uh diminish uh, Columbus, which I, I understand, yes, but yeah. I still think he is unfortunately a part of now all of our histories. And 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 we 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 will always have to reckon with that. However, I I think they like, you know, th- there's a huge motivation to say, like, well, actually the Egyptians made it to the Americas. Yeah, I heard that one too. And yep, yep. That I don't really think has ever been supported by anything solid. I mean, one of the things that people were saying was, oh, well, there was tobacco uh, residue found in the Egyptian mummies. And then it's like, oh, well, you know what archaeologists used to do indiscriminately while working on artifacts? Smoke. Smoke. 
all the time. time. Yeah, there wasn't really. It was a different time. Yeah, um, that that was just what people did. Everybody was smoking. Yeah, you know, that, yeah, and you can kind of, you can kind of explain away most of the things where people are like, well, they could have only gotten this from North America, and then it, you know, kind of. I I guess I I see sort of like. Because the Phoenicians feels a little random. Like, you didn't even pick, like, something on the... You didn't even pick, like, uh, someone at least a little closer to the Americas, like West Africa or mm. Iberian Peninsula or something. Like I mean... Choosing the Phoenicians, I feel like, is trying to put it within spitting distance of... Uh, of biblical history i think yep i think you're yep. you're you're on to some other motivation there yep. you know, in the <laughs> in the same absolutely. way that there's there's the obsession with ancient egypt really comes out of a, a again an interest in the the history of abrahamic religions yeah i mean ancient egypt is very cool but it does end up tying oh, yeah. it ties into that a lot with a lot of people yeah. and i i think it's the birth of western civ that this is what's being attached to right because the phoenicians are also the thing we learn about because you can't talk about the greeks without talking about the phoenicians can't talk about the romans without, talk, without talking about either one mm-hmm. and so i think this guy can't have fun without phoenician <laughs> exactly um you know, there's a hundred and four days of summer vacation, and the Phoenicians were on it. So, this is uh-huh, what they decided uh-huh. to do. Phil and <laughs> <laughs> and his international yeah, crew. Exactly. Well, but the thing is, I think because he's like, you know, he's kind of like, I'm a bit of a history nerd. You know, I'm I like I like a good history book every now and then. But I, I think he kind of, in a way, like myself, was really fascinated by these people who are really good at trading and navigating at a time we don't really think about that happening in the Mediterranean, at least to that point, mm-hmm. and just taking it really far. That's the innocent side of me who's thinking that's where this happening. Right. I think it's a bit more uh, religious and like trying mm-hmm. to prove this correct. But I also think there's this element here, and this was all just speculation, by the way, so I, I, I'll return to like actual facts in a moment, but I think that there's an element here where you see this happen with a lot of Italians. You see this happen with mm-hmm. anybody who is attached to the age of exploration that there's this like desire to be first to be like, mm-hmm. well, actually they were here first. Actually they were there first. They discovered it first. There's, there's a couple things wrong with this. The first one being that no one ever talks about like the actual people who were there first, you know, that's, that's always put aside yeah. and that's a major problem. Uh, the second thing is that, it's sort of a it's a glorification and romantization of colonization and it's it's sort of post columbus colonization being the issue you know like actually taking over people's homelands and i think that's i mean uh, to to be fair i think people all over the world were 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 kind of doing that before 1492 no 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 but i want to be i guess i should be specific more <laughs> like transatlantic slave trade colonization right. that's when yeah. things get a little different and yeah it's bit... no we we have i think this is like what we feel is this um this unfolding of this dark chapter in history instigated right. by this right, right, right um but i mean you you look at the the desire to even make a replica of something yeah. like this we're not making replicas of slave ships uh right which, that would hmm. i mean because there's 
there there really aren't a lot of those even left from what i understand i think uh a lot of you know because they were you know treated as, because those people were treated as cargo those were considered cargo ships and hmm. you know probably were sold for scrap repurposed at a certain point and then scrap some like, actually became pirate ships in fact mhm they were very good yes. for that yeah mhm yeah i but the um but but if you were to build a replica, you would market it as we are making a pirate ship. Yeah, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. Our, our desire to have that kind of proximity to history, I think, is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think because when we look at the past, um, we have so much wrapped up in it from our 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 contemporary perspective, where um, it feels like everything and nothing is happening. <laughs> yeah, uh, and we are just by virtue of being so far along in history, there's so much that we have to be aware of all of the time mm, uh, yep. as as people interested in history. There's more information than there ever has been before, um, but it still feels so far away from us. Mm. Like, even things that are famous cultural touchstones that happened you know, just a little while before the two of us were born, carry a lot of uh, gravity. And mm. it feels like this mythic past, and yet it's only like 30 years ago, sometimes when you hear people talking yeah. about these things. Um, and when you see, when you're when you're in the presence of an artifact of that time, I think the awe is maybe for a second being able to imagine that this history happened in the same world that you now occupy, you know? Yeah. That, yeah, that, that it, if you saw the Colosseum mm. reconstructed with some kind of verisimilitude, like it's no longer this pile of stones. It becomes real. It's, yeah. oh my God, this thing really existed. People really gathered here. Yeah. This, this happened uh, under the same, on top of the same earth that I now stand on. And I think that is the, the, the difficulty, the weird disconnect that like, mm-hmm. if you like, you know, it's sometimes weirdly difficult to imagine and understand until you're standing in a, in, in a rebuilt castle. Mm, and yeah. I think that that is sort of where the power of replicas can come in and really capture our imagination. Because a lot of times, especially with contemporary preservation theory, we want to uh, also see how those objects have been worn right. by time. Yeah, it's a very interesting way to 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 navigate you know because i think i think like one topical thing that i believe is happening at the moment actually it, at the met in new york the metropolitan mm-hmm. there's an exhibition going on where it's a bunch of the older i think they're either they're greek or roman greco-roman hellenistic that period you mm-hmm. know where they have the <laughs> statues on display colored yes. though they're they're painted in the way that they would have been, which is like these crazy bright colors, because actually the right, marble statues yeah. were painted. And I know people were like freaking out on the internet about it because they're like it looks so ugly and it looks so terrible, and it's because you know we've been so conditioned to like the white marble, um, 
you know, version of them, even though the people at the time wouldn't have liked that. But I, I see that as a very interesting exhibition take to show the how the past would have looked. It's why I always really appreciated, yeah. um, you know, playing a lot of the Assassin's Creed games and being able to go back in time and see what things would have looked like and interact with it and actually having a team that's, you know, Ubisoft and all its problems, truly, but being able to go and do the research and actually put in lots of art historical yeah. and historical monuments that are very accurately shown in many of in many cases. Yeah. I think it provides this way to interact with the past that opens up it opens up a different way to experience it. And I imagine this crew and this captain, you know, being out on the ocean must have been kind of surreal and awesome, especially when they were sailing in the Mediterranean. It had to be great. I mean, I just I kind of am jealous a little bit. But also I'm not because there ha there you is hate seafood. Just because you're on a boat doesn't mean you have to eat seafood though, I feel like. I don't know how much you're gonna be fishing, <laughs> but yes. Uh that's definitely part of it. But um no 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 I, but but one of the, the thing I think that I'm not necessarily jealous of is the idea that one's tr one's version of the truth must be true because they feel it it, it has to be so. You know? And mm -hmm. I think that's where mm -hmm. things get a little dicey and and I, I really enjoyed this quote um from a professor of archaeology and former Iowa State archaeologist who was reviewing this case actually it was it was actually doing a lot of research into you know if this theory was true at all what's the evidence and ha pointed out that there is absolutely not any evidence and I I feel like this quote really sums up that the expedition Beale's expedition and he basically says in this modern day everyone wishes to be his own authority and the personal search for cultural alternatives seem to make every idea or theory equal in value. And I think mm. that speaks a lot to what we've been talking about and, and even this entire expedition of trying to disprove that Columbus made it there first by grafting that idea onto somebody else who most likely never traveled across the Atlantic. But it gets wrapped up in that whole thing of replicas where this, I believe is the more negative side of replicas where one is trying to use them as a way to prove yeah. history true based on a feeling. Whereas when, you know, you, for example, like when we were in Florence and you can interact with the David statue outside of Palazzo Vecchio, where it would have been, you get to get a yeah. You get a sense of what that was like back in time. Yeah. And then you can also go to the academia and see the real one in person the original mm -hmm. even though they look very similar but i think it, yeah. i think ultimately it is a good idea to i mean I, I know this is probably like everybody has a different opinion on this museologically and conservationally speaking but i do think there's something to having the copy having the replica to interact with and having the real one protected and being able to see how it's going to survive over time what's going to happen to it yeah. in its worn state you know I, I feel like there's weirdly a liberation to like take, you know, uh, also in Florence, you've got uh, the the baptistry doors uh, or the, the gates mm. of paradise um, by uh, Ghiberti, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I mean, those are incredibly famous, but also, I mean, a, a beautiful, beautiful uh piece of artwork you know he he did that in the 1400s um but then you know they're badly damaged in the the flood in 1966 in florence uh the ones that are on there now uh the city actually got uh in the 90s from a uh, benefactor uh, chokichiro matoyama you know he's 
Japanese businessman who just, you know, really loved uh, the, the, the artwork and, you know, wanted to, to finance uh, the, the, um, the, basically the, the replacement of the doors uh, so that the originals could be, you know, moved in safe. He saw them originally in 1959, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when they were the original doors, mm-hmm. uh, but the 66 flood, you know, just really devastated yeah. them. Oh yeah. Um, but they, they would have been taken down in uh, 1980. He uh, had them, uh, the, uh, the ones that are there now, if you were to go to Florence, the ones that are outside are 1990. And I think if you really do look at them, I mean, aside from the age, there is just a quality to the originals mm-hmm. that kind of can't be beat. Part of that is that the originals, <laughs> the gold was painted on with mercury. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> so different time. God knows how. Yeah, different time. <laughs> Explains a lot, uh, but different time. So, so I don't think we would want to remake the even god but joe have you seen them it's i know like, well the, i don't go the gold just really goes on really well with is, the mercury it, i ne- <laughs> uh, i mean I, ne- I don't think i ever told you this but like i was a little i, I loved the baptistry when i learned about it in art history it was one of my favorite buildings mm-hmm. like i just i'm just so fascinated by that idea of putting it in the center oh, yeah. it's amazing but you know i'm seeing the like the paintings and how they were look and the doors and i was like getting all hyped up and then I went to Florence for the first time to study abroad and I was a little underwhelmed when I walked past it like oh I guess it's like older and it's fading you know makes sense but I, I don't know like it was just like the sense of like oh mm. like oh you know not like v- v- like verbally but I don't know just deep down I always felt because that. you you felt like they weren't worn down no no no. I like thought I, I felt like they were they didn't have that same aura you know, they didn't mm. have that same feeling like I felt like I was seeing in the images and the right. and the and the drawings and the paintings. But then I went to see the, cons- the the ones that are on display that are taken away. Yeah, and then I felt it, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Whoa!" And I mean, you have to go see. It. I mean, it's like it's in the museum, like right across the yeah. street. If you, if you ever are there, it's it's totally worth looking at the replica and then looking at the real ones. I do think they're super close. Truly, and I think the replica does yeah. a great job of mimicking it. But there, there's just something to that gold. It's that mercury. I mean, I don't know, but it is just, oh, it pops. <laughs> well, I think because the, the original thing is something of artistic inspiration and a replica yeah. is trying to superficially resemble yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And without getting like overly romantic about art, I feel like people can kind of get that sense from copies usually that um it's it's you know it's even the idea of like painting from a photograph like right if you're yeah. not going to um do something that feels inspired yeah uh, you know and you're just copying it's it, exactly I, I feel like this is ultimately why replicas you know we can't even uh, even though artisans <laughs> often work on them, it's difficult to think of them sometimes as art. And maybe that's I, our own, maybe that, maybe that's our own cultural obsession with the original. Maybe, but, 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 but I feel like there's, there's something to be said about, well, like you weren't trying to make a painting of something that had deep spiritual significance to you. You were trying to make a copy, copy yeah. a painting that had significance to someone else and you were trying to make it superficially look exactly. like it. And something does get lost there. And that's not necessarily on the the artists and artisans that have to, you know, make reproductions for things like this. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, we, we've talked about this a bit 
as well, and I think this might be another good example here, is that the idea of copying a solo on a song, like exactly mm. the same, I feel like is that exact same idea. Or like it's it's why yeah. I think covers that are so, so, so close to the original never sound as good because it's trying to mimic that exact feeling that that band or that performer was trying to do or or was conjuring. And I feel like it always sort of just doesn't hit as hard. Like it just feels, sometimes it's yeah. better. Sometimes it's better, but many times it's not. And I think <laughs> that's, and because, and it's usually when it's better, it's because it does it differently. And they're, they're taking yeah. that song, they're reinterpreting it. They're using the same progressions, but they're changing it and making it theirs. And I think that that works. But I think when you're sitting here and, and mitigating whether or not you missed the, you did the right notes at the right time in the right order and the right sound with the right effects to do Freebird, you know, it's like, <laughs> all right, well, what's the point? We can just play Freebird, you know? Like, it doesn't really... Yeah, if you wanted to hear it exactly, you would... You would just play the song. You know, you'd play the yeah, recording. Yeah, you, just, you would just listen to the recording. Exactly. I mean, that's, it's, it's sort of the idea of cover bands and stuff. I mean, well, yeah. okay, but one, one thing I wanted to think about, though, and I think this is also an interesting example of the reproduction, mm. um, Apelles, you know, who's re reported to be the, the best, if not one of the best painters of ancient Greece. Mm. You know, he's referenced by Pliny the Elder. There, there's, there's so many legends about him. Um, and one of his, you know, he has all of these famous works of art that simply do not survive. All we have are writers uh, describing his works. Mm. Um, so we, we don't even really know, like, like his reputation really has outlived him right. and, and all of his work. And all we really have um, is, are a couple of pieces that are supposed to be copies of his work. Mm. And one of them isn't even a painting. There's the uh, really famous, uh, uh, there's, there's the uh, battle of Issus, uh, which is a mosaic but right. that is attributed to be a copy of the original Apelles, um, uh, painting. So what, what do we, what do we, how do we even evaluate something like this? Cause it's going through so many levels for us. We look at this and we're like, oh my God, this is an ancient artifact. Oh my God. It's also a beautiful artwork. Right. But from this artwork, we're trying to get the idea, the, the impression of, the painting that it was copied from and how how are they different how are they the same is there some rigidity to this that isn't in the original uh how can yeah. how can we even say yeah it's a really good example i mean i think that's the complicated i mean part, he's right? he's he's supposed to be how we have the likeness of alexander the great oh my like, god that's crazy but but again, we don't we don't, we don't know, have right? any of the originals. Yeah, so it, it, it's it, any any image of Alexander the Great is a copy of a copy oh of the Pele's. I mean, how do we not know that if he just didn't have a handlebar mustache? We have no idea because they could have just <laughs> they could have decided that hey, this isn't looking this doesn't look good on him. We can just get rid of it. You know, we have no idea. But uh, wow, for <laughs> true true revisionist history. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! No, but I mean. To that point, though, it is kind of stressful that we have actually no idea that this is all based off of we're like, well, we, we think he looked like this, but actually it's a copy of a copy. So, you know. Uh, 
but but this is we're talking about like if you want to like if you want to look at western civilization as stemming from the ancient greeks which is you know has some problematic stuff associated with it but we we can we can trace a lot of sure. uh stuff back to them and and their civilization but like this is supposed to be the greatest artist right. of the greek world and we don't have any of his work only his reputation and probably the artists that he inspired after him mm. it would i don't know would it like would it be like if we had like actual live recordings of famous musicians that died before recording technology appeared like mm. like what are we missing when we look at musical notation uh from from composers you know that are that that died before thomas edison was around like yeah how, how, how do we how do we evaluate all of these things other than them just being replicas that's a real existential question right there i have no idea where to even begin i mean it is what? very true what do you mean? You what? don't have an answer. What am I supposed well, to do now? Do you, uh, How am yes. I supposed to sleep tonight? Yeah, well, you, you won't know? because I have. I mean, it's like <laughs> ah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, do you accept the ones that we have as the real ones because it's what we know them to be, or is there that potential? It's what we have left. I mean, yeah. Is is was was Lascaux even that great? Like, and, but it's just it's the one we have left. I mean, we have left because, like, okay, look look at Lascaux. We've talked about Lascaux before. Uh, on our exhibit on ancient cave art. But mm. one of the things we didn't get into as much is uh, the fact that there are now four Lascos. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I... L- Lasco 2, Lasco 3, Lasco 4. Right. Lasco, the last cave, you know. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the fifth one. Uh, the La- Lasco 4th, the 5th. Right. The, the minor fourth four the major the left. Left. yeah of course yeah <laughs> um but th- there are four uh lasco co- or sorry three lasco copies lasco one is lasco gotcha the original <laughs> lasco the original yes um so but we have to have replicas to view that because basically because it, it was this it's discovered in 1940 mm-hmm. um by some uh some children right uh that are like the, the weird thing about Lascaux is they were looking in those caves because supposedly there, there was a town rumor that there were like ancient caverns that led to uh, a local castle. Cool. That's fun. Yeah. But instead they suddenly see these, uh, you know, these ancient drawings and they get a, they get a teacher to like the, 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 the school teacher has to come and look and it's like, Oh my God. God, you know you what have we discovered that would be oh my gosh oh god yeah no imagine like being lowered it's 1940 being lowered down into a cave you got your lantern or your flash you have, i guess yeah, we have you have at that point but. a little bit of light and then you suddenly see that bull like for, for the first time in who knows how many thousands of years Ugh, must um, be incredible yeah, it, I mean it's it's an amazing moment and you want to have that moment of reveal to you but because um Lasco was preserved because it was kind of, you know, partially buried, tucked away um and once they built a proper entrance to it so that visitors could come and see cuz they pretty much immediately realized that this was going to be a big tourism mm-hmm. thing. 
uh, and it opens in 1948 after the war. Um, and I guess that's also the crazy thing to think about. You discover this, but also World War yeah, it's happening. Is, yeah. is ramping up. It's it's only yeah. 1940. You got a ways to go. Right. Well, um, in France. Uh, but yeah, that by the 60s, it was apparent that the outside air was having uh, a a really degrading effect on the right. artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, had to start, uh, you know, reopening it, but they, they realized they would never be able to reopen it and, uh, you know, have had to have, you know, basically these very, very precise copies of it from here on out for people to get that experience. And, you know, people talk a lot about it's still impactful to see the replicas. Oh, I'm sure. I'm absolutely a lot of care went into making all of them and they, and all the different um, replicas are supposed to be different experiences as well. Like supposed to highlight different parts of the cave, but you're, you know, it still is a different experience and you're sort of left tantalized with what is the experience of seeing the original, you know, mm, exactly. Um, you know, and, and having sort of this connection with this, this ancient uh, human desire to create, like possibly like catching a glimpse of what it is within all of us to make something. And wow, yeah, and and we're the, the the original is forbidden. All mm. you have is the replica. And maybe that's the case with all of this stuff. Maybe it's even like a Pele's, you know, like like what we were talking about, even with the ancient cave art uh, uh, exhibit is we have to. You know, really recognize the fact that there probably was artwork that was not in caves, but that stuff didn't survive. All we have left really is the cave art. God. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. There could have been sculptures. Yeah. They could have done. They could yeah. Have done... I mean, because there, there's, I, I forget where it is, but there's one cave that they went into and found like really, really like well done, uh, clay sculptures hmm. of, um, of bison. Oh, wow. And, you know, like, like not like really stylized either, like very representational and they're ancient and you can tell that they just sculpted them out of clay and then left them in the cave. You know, the, the clay isn't fired. It's just the, the floor of the cave of the cave. That is cool. Yeah. And, and it's, it's incredible to see something like that. And you have to assume it was everywhere. It's just, it was protected in the cave. Right, right, exactly. Like, I, get, I, I said sculptures, and I forget that, like, jewelry still exists. But I imagine, like, yeah. larger-scale items or things that could have been just, like, mm-hmm. in camps or, you know, because people didn't just necessarily right. live in caves. So it's like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, there could have been, like, other paintings outside on different things. Like, we have no idea. And I think that that's... We really don't. And... I mean, we've also when we had um, when we had star of the show, Hillary McLean on mm, legend, UCM legend. Yes, we, you know, had to talk also about, you know, the use of replicas in paleontological museums. Right. And sometimes yes. that's kind of a necessity because that stuff is really old and really fragile. Yeah. Um, but yeah. people also feel some kind of disappointment in seeing the, uh, you know, something that is somewhat a facsimile. It's like. I almost wish there was 
For museum displays, I almost wish there was a little bit more of a lean into them being replicas and not trying to look exactly like the fossil. Mm. But maybe that's just the artist in me. Maybe. Maybe it's the it's the future project that you get to develop. Could be quite fun. Right. I don't know. It could be interesting. Right. We're going to have all of these casts of dinosaur fossils, but they're going to be just in a bunch of different crazy colors. That would be fun. I mean, that'd, that'd be like... I don't know. That could be interesting. Or or make them in just like different material. Bronze. Everything's in bronze now. <laughs> just solid gold. Because why not? Uh, maybe. I mean, well, we we need uh, we need some people to start funding the arts again for that one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's the priority. Paint, <laughs> paint need, the gold uh, on with mercury so you can save it. Ah, uh, yes. Know, of course. That's the way of course. <laughs> the safest option, obviously. Oh, um, uh, yeah. I, I mean, don't say that too loud. Damien Hurst will probably do that. Yeah, who's, diamond, who, diamond encrusted dinosaur. Oh my fossils. god, it goes for billions. It would be kind of amazing, though. Yeah, what and, it, and part of the value is, uh, you know, people died making, oh making god. it. Oh god, people um, got mercury poisoning. Right. Well, isn't there that one artist that like paints with like different poisons into the canvas? So if you touch them, you would like die. I've heard. Of I that. forget their I name. Also know, uh, I also know about death clocks. Not what? not the fictional the, the band. Mo- yeah the band Death Clock uh from Mattel yeah but si- similar to the Gates of Paradise um there were a lot of these French clocks that were made with a similar technique you know they've got all these gold furnishings on them mm-hmm. but they were made with the uh, the mercury technique oh, so quite often no. they they are associated with um you know uh you know some poor uh shop assistant getting mercury poisoning from making these. You know, really beautiful uh, clocks oh, for the god. extremely wealthy. Oh god, that is much sadder than I thought that was going to be. Um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, oh, it's it's sad, it's sadder than <laughs> than death clock. No, 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 no. I meant like I was like, yeah, oh, no, okay, no. this it's, sounds like I don't know. Maybe people own these clocks and then they just I don't know. Could have been a curse or something. It does sound like the. I mean. It, Talk about like a loaded name. Like you do think like, oh, is it? It's like clocking. It's yeah. ticking down to when you die. It's the hourglass. Exactly. Man. And it's no, actually, it's but uh, no, no, it's mercury some, poisoning. Some poor assistant had to yeah, die to make it out. Make this clock. Yeah. Um. But that's, you know, uh, there's there's certainly a lot of things that we don't make anymore. You know, which I'm I'm heard. I'm sure people have heard. Uh, you know old guys complaining about how we don't make things anymore. There's certain things I don't think we should be making. Anymore. Don't make that lead paint like we used to. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, no, it just, it, have you, have you ever eaten out of, you know, the, the Roman lead cookware? It was oh, supposed to make the food sweeter. Yeah. It tastes uh, so much better. And you know, you only go slightly crazy until your teeth, uh, you know, your gums, mm-hmm. your gums erode, but it's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We just got to, We'll stick with the fluoride in the water, I guess, instead of lead. It's better than the lead um, pipes, that's for sure. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. Um, but it raises a lot of questions without definite answers when it comes to replicas. Absolutely. I think like like having authentic artifacts, you know, you can do good and you can do bad with them. Mm-hmm. I think the and again, this is another thing we've talked about as we talk more and more about repatriation of artifacts, you know, those things are still going to be in museums when they are sent back to their their places of origin. So we're still going to be having this replica conversation. I guess it ultimately depends in 
how you want people to react to things. And ultimately, I think I am in favor of those replicas because I want people to encounter art in their everyday. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, no matter what that means. And then also, you know, keeping these artistic traditions alive, having people that can replicate this stuff is so valuable. And then who knows, you know, you could, God forbid, knock on wood, you know, what if we lose the originals, you know, because they, they, they don't last forever. They do not, you know, if you think about the entirety of like what we think of as classical sculpture, like marble sculpture, like not Renaissance, like actual classical era stuff, like those were all meant to be copies, knockoffs of original Greek bronzes. And as Greece got conquered by so many different places, all those bronzes were melted down and used for other things. I miss the gold. And Zeus. all, all we have is the marble now. Yeah. I miss the gold Zeus. That would have been cool. Mm. That that's something I forget what that temple specifically called, but man, was, was that, yeah. the, was that the Parthenon? Or the, no, that was no, the no, Temple no. of Zeus. Temple of the Zeus. Temple That's of Zeus. it. Yes, uh, right on the yeah, nose. No, but I mean, yeah, God, God, could you imagine something like that? Incredible yeah. sight to see, and then they melted it down. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, there's there's all the stuff that you know when the Romans took over Israel. They, oh yeah, you know, war, all man. all of that stuff melted down and turned into other things. Oh yeah, no. It's incredibly uh, it's incredibly dark and messed up, and we lost so much. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, all of the stuff that the Spanish looted from uh, the Caribbean and South America Mm -hmm. and, you know, just it just was it wound up as gold ingots. Yep. You know, being shipped back to Spain. Yeah. Yeah. This. Yeah. Dang Columbus and his reverberations, man. But also hate to the Roman Empire. We'll have to talk about I want to do a diss track to the Romans at some point, you know, Mm. one day. I, I feel like it would be. Hmm. It would be interesting for us to to tackle that because I think, I so. think we both have our we have <laughs> our mixed emotions about it. I think I you agree. have it as you are often surrounded by people that really love hyping up the Romans. Oh yeah, it's great. Um, and but also like we we have to like be in awe of the just how much of everything we do every day is in I know it's in some part of reverberation literally literally you know what else is Star Wars so it's crazy I mean literally half the plot of Star Wars is the fall of the Roman Empire (laughs) which I think is hilarious yeah I really loved how Luke was raised by a she-wolf Luke and Leia (laughs) it's it's more the it's the prequels raised by a she-wolf yeah obviously uh, yeah. Even though they're not raised near each other, but that's fine. We can continue yeah, on this yeah. metaphor. Uh, no, I mean it's <laughs> it's more it's more the one with Natalie Portman where you have the, the prequels, arguably sometimes the better movies or the worst ones. It really who cares? It doesn't even matter. Uh, maybe we are from different generations. Maybe I was about we to are. <laughs> well, I, it depends. It all comes down to what you saw first. I saw the prequels first, then I saw the other ones because my dad does not like Star Wars. So therefore, mm. I look at those as the beginning. And also, they timeline-wise are. so. Right, right. I I guess I did technically see the prequels first, but I was indifferent to them, and <laughs> neither of my parents are Star Wars fans. Mm, like, Okay. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I mean, because like, here's how indifferent. Like, I think it was Star Wars, but like, my mom saw 
the original Star Wars in the theater. So did mine. She has absolutely no memory of it because she was just babysitting, you know, some kids. My my mom was telling me she went to go see it with her school. Like it was that big of a deal when she was in like I I don't God. When did that come out? I don't even remember. Movie I think I've ever seen was the last Harry Potter movie. You went to you went with a school trip to see that? Really? Well, or was it with friends? Okay, here's here's where I'm going to sound like an insufferable person. But uh, in high school, during the summer, for one month, I went to a pre-college thing at Ringling in Sarasota. Oh, okay, all right. And you know, this is this was twenty twenty twelve. When did that movie come out? Twenty twelve, I think. Mm, uh, Maybe sure. And yeah, no, this was like the culmination of a lot, you know, and it was all, they're all art students. Everyone there is a Harry Potter fan. Ah, yeah, that'll do it. Like, so, you know, it was coming out in the theater. We weren't technically supposed to leave campus, you know, because we're a bunch of high schoolers that (laughs) these people are in charge of. Uh, but they piled us onto a bus and took us to the theater. That's kind of fun to to see the last Harry Potter movie. Last Harry Potter was that? That's Deathly Hallows Part Two. Mm. Yes, truly an experience, yeah. kind of mm-hmm. like Endgame. That was an experience, you know, yeah, no, an experience is, that I cannot replicate, and mm. don't know if I ever can. It's true, like I didn't get to go see Dune in the theaters, but I will definitely try to go see Part Two. And I feel like that was an mm. experience to see Dune Part One in theaters. Um, yeah, so. no, I'm definitely glad I got to see that in IMAX. You and me should go see Dune, Dune 2. Ooh, we should. I think yeah. that would be very cool. I just hope they bring the bagpipes back. That's all I'm really here for. I really need to okay, hear that. Yeah. I mean, come on, it's awesome. That was an awesome scene, but... It was. Anyway, it was. everything always ends up devolving into Dune, as per usual. Yes, but, um, well, welcome to Dune Talk. Welcome, welcome... <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. The the side the side uh the side If pu- you were going to have a ship, I feel like you would name it after something from Dune. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's some really there cool names go. in Dune to be fair. So, I feel like yeah, the mm-hmm. the the Atreides, even though I don't really like House of Atreides, but I mean, D- Duncan Idaho is a good That's such a, cool a good name. name for a ship. Yeah, Duncan the Duncan Idaho, SS Duncan Idaho. The Duncan Idaho. Mm, SS Idaho. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm thinking Duncan. I'm thinking <laughs> Oh my gosh, the Dunkin' do Dunkin' Donuts. They don't say that anymore. I think they just say America runs on Dunkin'. They do, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyways, anyways uh, <laughs> yes, this has been of all the conversations we've had, this has been one. This has been one. Um, this is true. I think it's this been has productive. Been, you know, maybe, maybe you're you're listening to us talk, and you're like, this is but a shallow facsimile of the the greatness. Uh, if you you know. Uh, but, you know, try to live in the moment a little more. Try to appreciate yeah, things yeah. as as they are presented. And also maybe watch out for people, you know, trying to use replicas to uh, push yeah. uh, creationism. Yeah, or, uh, or the Book of Mormon, you know, maybe. Yeah. I guess that all kind yeah. of falls in that same category. Maybe, God, you know, maybe one day we'll have to go see that replica <laughs> Noah's, Noah's Ark. Ark. I was going to talk about that. Yeah, I was thinking Speaking about it. Speaking of ships, God, we yeah. went this whole time talking about replica it's ships. It's too we much. Talk about, we, it deserves its own thing. We didn't talk thing. about that time <laughs> that no. they built a bunch of, uh, they built uh, copies of Columbus's ships and sailed them to Chicago for the World's I Fair. Forgot, I didn't even know about, really? Wait, what? Yes. All right, we got it. That's, 
this is what's going to keep everybody coming back. We're going to talk about that soon. That's got to be <laughs> yes. that's got to be its own. Maybe we can get those here and then we'll burn them or something. I don't know, but it'll be just just because that'll be okay. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about that. We I didn't want to talk about Noah's Ark replica because honestly, I don't think they deserve the attention. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, but no, that that is a crazy thing too that people were like oh, genuinely yeah. trying no, to it's, prove. Uh, makes, it's crazy. Makes perfect the, sense. The the Nina, the Pinto, the Chevy Bolt. <laughs> <laughs> the Chevy Bolt, yeah. The uh, oh my gosh, I can't even. I wonder what Noah named his ship if that actually happened. I feel like it was something kind of like either Dee's not. <laughs> he was a dad. You know? This is true. They were just playing Steely Dan the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yacht rock, yacht rock on the on Noah's Ark. Oh my god. Yeah, no. It, it, in the years. Exactly. Um. Yeah, no. I mean, Noah, Noah lived to be like 400. He definitely was. <laughs> he definitely was a dad, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, that. but yeah, I don't think we had the time to discuss that. And frankly, I think this these other stories are... We don't even have the time to discuss Steely Dan. We really don't. That's a whole other can of worms yeah. to discuss. But we, it, yeah, yeah. well, take that can of worms, put yeah. it in your fishing gear, and enjoy as mm. we sail yeah. back from the Uncanny County Museum. Right. Uh... As as we, you know, the sun sets on our adventure at sea. Mm. Joe, what have you got going on? Well, I still have my exhibition up at St. Kate's Art Hotel in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, entitled uh, Ephemeral Existence When Light Takes Form. So if you're in that area, uh, feel free to go check that out. Uh, mm-hmm. I also have an upcoming exhibition in Milwaukee as well. That's a group exhibition um, with the collective I'm part of, and the exhibition is titled "Teleportal Presents Movement," and that's at Real Tinsel Gallery. So uh, check that out as well. We'll be posting about it relatively soon. So you know, just check check around that Teleportal mm-hmm. Gallery Instagram. And also, I have music available. Biomes, my first mm-hmm. al- ever album, is actually is available now on streaming. You can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp. I think it's a bunch of other ones that you know my distribution service sent it out to. So wherever you get your music from, please give it a listen, relax a bit. Uh, yeah, I would be very grateful for that. Uh, that's pretty much everything going on in my sphere right now. How about you, Zan? What do you got going on? Um. Well, I am, you know, working on some new uh, 2D art stuff that I should be uh, releasing soon. I don't know if that'll be uh, um, available uh, by the time people are listening to this or not. But uh, regardless, there is work up, as always, on my website, Mm -hmm. zampeters.com. Got some work up for sale again that uh, uh, proceeds from that are going to Planned Parenthood back home in St. Petersburg, Florida. I also, uh, I don't know if we can announce it just yet, mm. but uh, <laughs> Joe and I uh, have another uh, collaborative project that is in the works. Yes, yes, and yes. You should all definitely stay tuned for because, uh, oh gosh, I'm I'm having such a hard time not just blurting <laughs> it out. But this is honestly something I have been waiting to do for so long. <laughs> And I'm so excited to finally have it out. And hopefully uh, in a couple weeks, we should be able to actually be talking about it and a little more properly teasing it. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. Yes. Uh, Run. Don't limp. (laughs) Wink, wink. Mm. Uh, (laughs) 
to our uh, our next project. Oh yes. Um, but as always, uh, you can find uh, the museum after hours on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Uh, just, you know, s- check us out there for uh, all kinds of announcements, fresh hot memes. Uh, feel free to, you know, send us, uh, suggestions, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, tell us, uh, corrections. We love Mm. hearing those, uh, you know, uh, love hearing from, uh, Crikey, it's Christian, uh, whenever, uh, I get something wrong about, uh, biology or paleontology, I really do appreciate it. We want to keep, uh, we want to keep things loose here, but also informative. Exactly. We don't want to just make stuff up because we feel it is true. Mm, I mean, that's sometimes fun to do. Though, it but is, yes, but we, we at least we, we can address we, it. We we want to maintain that our first priority is education. Hundred percent. But yeah, uh, other than that, I also uh, am going to be teaching uh, in Brasstown, North Carolina, next summer, uh, and hopefully that catalog will be out soon, and I can be directing people to that. Uh, if you'd like to find me, I am at Xanasaurus on Instagram. And I'm at Josemino Art on Instagram. From the Uncanny County Museum, I've been Zan Peters. And I've been Josemino. Bye. Bye.